Welcome everyone to Dabo's Fingers episode 29, Jade Holocaust. I'm Scatty, we have with us Brooke and Matt as always. Hello. Hello. And uh, this week we'll be coming at you with five, ap- uh, five chapters of A Clash of Kings. That's Cat 7, Theon 5, Sansa 5, Davos 3, and Tyrion 13. That's chapters 55 to 59 according to Wiki of Ice and Fire. Uh, quick reminder, we are spoiler free as long as you're following along at our reading pace. Uh, that is until the end of the podcast. Uh, we'll have a special segment then called Davos After Dark. Uh, then we'll get all spoilery and ruin anything we want to ruin about any sort of franchise ever made. So don't listen if you don't want spoilers <laughs> for anything. But uh, we will warn you. We've got a nice musical jingle composed by our uh, talented Matthew. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll let you know that's coming. So if you want to contact us uh, in any way, uh, you can reach us at uh, DavosFingers.com, uh, through email at WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com, Twitter at DavosFingers, or find and like us on Facebook. And uh, just w- one little note coming up, I'm sure everyone knows or has already read this, but uh, they are compiling the three Duncan Egg stories together that releases October 6th. Uh, it's kind of it's a little bit old news now. I mean, they, they announced it a long time ago, uh, but I for one am excited. Quick scad confession: I have never read these. Uh, I've got it on pre-order already. I plan mm. to remedy that as soon as I can, because uh, this is just history. I do not know, and I've just picked up bits and pieces as I read other things in the fandom. But uh, look for that. It's supposed to have fantastic illustrations uh, by a guy named Gary Gianni or Gary Gianni. Not sure. But uh, check that out if you're interested. A lot of uh, historical information that ties in to the main story of A Song of Ice and Fire. So, Especially the whole Targaryen dynasty. Yes. You just get a right. ton of background information about not only the kings, but major figures in the Targaryen line. So it's a ton of fun. A lot of general mm-hmm. stuff on and other families it, too, though, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, it almost has kind of a, I don't want to say a lighthearted feel to it, but the relationship between Duncan Egg is really refreshing, and it's it's good stuff. All right, so check that out if you uh, if if you want to. A, a Knight of the Seven Kingdoms is uh, what it's what it's called. So uh, check that out. I've already got it on pre-order. So don't Nerd. worry, boy. Yeah, uh, George Nerdler. will sell at least one copy of this thing because I've pre-ordered. <laughs> I think uh, you know it's apocalyptically okay. Got to keep them in cute hats and suspenders. Yeah, see if you can buy another <laughs> movie theater. All right, uh, Matt, your episode, my chapter. you have anything else to add? Take us away, Sketch. All right. All right, Catelyn. The words will cut you like Valyrian steel to a head. She can't love Jon Snow, but she's sure to let you know where she stands. A devoted mother who married the brother of a dead. Fiance. She's vengeful and hateful, loving and faithful. She's Catelyn, Catelyn Stark. The sounds of revelry can be heard through the walls. Celebration of both Edmure's and Rob's recent military prowess, but it is a different, despondent, and despairing Cat Tully that eats with just the silent Brienne for company. She's just received news earlier that morning of Bran and Rickon's death. News she carries silently, not even telling their big brother Rob. As they sit at dinner, though, she can't keep it in. Cue the Cat Stevens music. Oh, I can't keep it in. I can't keep it in. I've got to let it out. Any longer, and confides in Brienne, admitting, I have no sons but Rob. Brienne reaches down her hand in her pocket to try and pull out some hope for Cat, but 
She can only offer that they're with God now. To which Kat kind of responds a little bit uncharacteristically for her, kind of implying that no God would do this to these boys, that, that, that no, God, no, no loving God could do this to these boys that don't deserve it. And then her thoughts shift to her daughters, and uh, so must her, her hopes, uh, I, I believe. Then it's a kind of turns to a very stream of consciousness kind of rambling thing. She talks about her sons, her daughters, Queen Circe and the royal kids, and even Theon and how she would relish a chance to behead him herself. Eventually, though, she lands on the one and only thing she can do something about. The Kingslayer, who our listeners may remember is being held captive at Riverrun. She sent him uh, a flagon of wine, and she makes a, no- a note to ask Brienne to accompany her to his cell later that night. But that's hours away, so she's got to do something in the meantime. So it's one melancholy situation to the next as she visits Hoster Tully in his bedroom. Hoster is, as you remember, very sick, uh, but she spills her beans to the near corpse about her situation and desires, namely that she wants Rob to quit the war, quit trying to be king, or just go home, get married and have kids, and for her daughters to come home to her. That's all she wants anymore. But eventually, her confession uh, finishes and midnight comes, as it does every night, and she and Brienne visit Jamie. He's uncooperative at first, doesn't want to talk to her, does his best to simply rile Catelyn up, but eventually his own longing for some information, some answers to questions, allows them to strike a bargain. Question for question, answer for answers. Tit for tat, you get one, I get one. So Jamie admits early on, mostly stuff we already know, that he's a father to the three royal bastards, that he pushed Bran out the window, that he intended for Bran to die. But when it gets to the question of the dagger, he won't admit to sending the cat's paw to murder Bran in his bed. He refutes that Tyrion won that dagger at the tourney because he lost that day, and Tyrion always bets on Jaime in the lists. Now, our listeners, again, may remember that this is a story that Tyrion told Catelyn in the Eyrie as well. So Cat chews on this, these two people telling the same story, and she starts second-guessing everything uh, that, that she thinks. And while she's doing so, Lannister gives us a little new nugget. The dagger did actually change hands that day to Triple B, who flaunted it at him later, saying, Ha ha, I got this when you lost. So interesting. Triple B actually maybe owned that dagger. So, uh, more information is shared in that question-answer session. But uh, we, know, we know most of it already. But Jamie did offer up a little bit of interesting stuff about oaths and vows. And I just wanted to read that really quick. It's on page 796 if you want to read it yourself. So many vows. They make you swear and swear. Defend the king. Obey the king. Keep his secrets. Do his bidding. Your life for his. But obey your father. Love your sister. Protect the innocent. Defend the weak. Respect the gods. Obey the laws. It's too much. No matter what you do, you're forsaking one vow or the other. Just wanted to read that. I think it's a... Uh... Very interesting for this world that the Georges concocted with all these uh, oaths in it. So, to close the chapter, Jamie tells the story of the demise of Brandon, Cat's betrothed, and Lord Rickard in King's Landing. In a nutshell, Rickard asked for trial by combat. Ares named Fire as the champion for the throne. Sounds totes my goats fair. And Brandon was brought in to watch with a tricky noose about his neck. His sword was placed just out of his reach, and the more he struggled to reach it, to ostensibly free his father, the tighter the noose got. Rickard lost his battle with fire, and Brandon with the noose, while trying to save him. Cat is moved by this story, didn't want to hear it in the first place, 
but Jamie won't let up, bringing up Ned's cheating, the resulting Jon Snow, and even the theft of her virginity by Peter Baelish. Her rage all akindled Cat demands that Brienne bring her her sword, and the chapter ends. Bam. Intensity in ten cities. Jamie was uh, on one. Intensity in ten cities. That's a good poll. That's Empire Records, right? I think so. You guys kick ass. You're double live gonzo. Intensity in ten cities. Live at Budokan. Oh, boy. Yeah, Jamie, Um, his wits were not dulled at all by being in that cell. Like, I think Cat notes it. Uh... If this cell has tamed him, he's make, he's putting on a good show. Like, he's in attack mode, like, the whole time. Yeah, he knew exactly what he was doing, I think, the whole time. Well, he's about to get like, something for it. <laughs> the whole wine thing and everything, like, he knew that someone had brought him wine, and then he deduced that it was Catelyn. And so that's why I think he was, like, making those uh, sexually explicit offerings to her. He, of course, wasn't interested in actually doing anything with her. But he was, like, he knew that she came in thinking she she was in a position of power over him. Mm -hmm. And he was like, nope, I'm going to throw you off. Here we go. (laughs) Take this. Yeah. And uh, he did. I think it worked to a degree. He kind of threw her off balance a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Man, I've never related to anyone like, um, like I did to Brienne in this episode pardon me in this chapter like that awkwardness when someone's crying Mm. in front of you and you don't know them very well and you can't really relate to their situation so you don't want to give them like insincere comfort yes like ah and also I know I don't want to be touched when I'm upset so I'm like so I'm always hesitant to like go in for the big the big embrace when other people really like that, yeah, that's an awkward. odd thing. We could we could derail the podcast on this for a while. It's such a weird thing to comfort somebody that if it's not natural, both parties know it, and anything feels wrong. You go in, it's wrong. You don't go in, <laughs> it's wrong. It's really just wrong if you're not the right person to be listening, right? Yeah, it's a really awkward yeah. thing to be in. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Kat really didn't have anybody else to confide in. Like her father is bedridden, Admira's out, you know, living his own life, making some victories. Rob, of course, can't be distracted by this and isn't there to be distracted by it. But um, yeah, she really has lost her entire support system. And I thought she handled herself really well, but also, man, she is in drama county now. Like, yeah. everything is... She should just wear a permanent veil. It's very over-the-top sad. But yeah. understandable. Yeah, piling on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like um, with with Kat, like, we've talked about it in several episodes leading up to this, just that she's she's just not in a good spot. And this is just... It's the death knell, you know? Like, it's news of, of your youngest boy's passing, like... I don't know how you could deal. I, I don't. Honestly, I'm, I'm surprised that she's as together as she is. Let's put it that way. As poorly as she's handling it, she's handling it incredibly well. Yeah, and and though we're giving Jamie credit for their conversation in the dungeons, she, considering the entire situation, really held mm-hmm. it together. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, she picked herself up, and I agree. I think it was a great conversation, precisely because they both were. Uh, I don't know if they're at the top of their game, but they were both on point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That whole conversation reminded me a lot of Cersei and Ned in the Godswood. Oh. 
like an interesting uh, yeah, the, parallel. The, 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 the power spouses. play. Yeah, yeah. the power play and also the, the questioning, the line of questioning, and they're both both Cersei and and Jamie are both very upfront about the answers, um, mm-hmm. and almost like they've had a conversation before. Like, hey, by the way, if anybody comes at you with this, just own up to it. <laughs> almost like they've agreed that they're going to handle it in the same way. I guess they're twins. Maybe it just happens that way. But there are a lot of parallels in those two scenes. I think. Well, Cersei does deny it a lot after the Stannis proclamation, but in these one-on-one conversations where they know that they have leverage over the person they're speaking to, just like, oh yeah, right. I did my bro. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. How about the triple B having the dagger thing? That's interesting. Yeah. I'm not really sure what that means. Well, whoever had I, the I dagger would have armed the cat spa with it. Well, so, but that's the thing. I feel like it's so completely impossible for for Robert to have facilitated that. Yeah, it doesn't add up at all. That's what I put in my notes, and uh, it's just it's interesting. This mystery is gone. You know, Tyrion did it. Then did Peter do it? No, maybe Tyrion still did it. And then now, like, oh, Triple B did it. That doesn't make sense. Somebody's lying. Somebody's lying somewhere, right? Mm. Or, there's, or there's more to how... it this world has gotten so much bigger and the problems in this world have gotten so much bigger than what we experienced when we were reading that event back in game of thrones. Yeah. And, uh, I, you, you almost forget about it, that yeah. it's still this mystery. Yeah. And all of a sudden here it comes again. And interesting that Catelyn wants to talk about it, uh, thinking that Bran is dead. She still wants to know. the Yeah. Answers to it's it. like, let's lay that to rest. What difference does it make now? He's gone. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, when she left him, he was still unconscious, and so that's probably stuck with her. Yeah, right. That, that she had to abandon him. Yeah, she just. Needs, in fact, like, she closure. says that in the chapter yeah. to to Brian. Yeah. There you go. Loved by one for a kindness I never did, despised by many for my finest act. Do 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 do. All right. Do, 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 do. <laughs> uh, listeners, that means that we're going to discuss that later in Davos After Dark. Uh oh. I can, we can talk a little bit about it now if you want, but well, I think it's pretty clear that despised by many for my finest act is Aries. Aries, that's pretty clear. The yeah. love by one for kindness never did is a little a little unclear. Mm-hmm. Could be supposed to be maybe a few things, but uh, I, I just I think it's a, a nice a nice way to look at it. We've never really gotten into Jamie's head. In fact, I think we've pointed out in this podcast before he's kind of a he's kind of a quieter guy. His sword does the talking. He'll throw in quips and banter occasionally but he's not he's not you know eloquent and and talking a lot but he you know in this chapter he you know what he says despised by many for my finest act he's telling you right out i don't regret doing this it was the right thing to do and you've been told through a whole book and a half that 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 this is the kingslayer he's a horrible person he murdered this guy and he's like it's the right thing to do and interesting that we haven't even seen Jamie for like this whole book. I think this is the first time that we actually oh, get yeah. like face to face POV conversation with Jamie this whole book. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that's true. I didn't remember. That. He's always been sort of like um a caricature of himself, but yeah. certainly larger than life, um, right? Larger than life due to his reputation for yeah. what he's done and now we're getting a little more human Jamie. We've seen it before, too, like 
in his private conversations with Cersei and Tyrion. Mm -hmm. But even then, he was more like a supporting character to their POV protagonist roles. Now he's kind of got a little more agency. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's interesting. I also found it interesting, his point about honor at the end of the chapter and talking about how he's called the Kingslayer and everything, comparing that to Eddard, Mm -hmm. and even bringing up how, yeah, maybe he sleeps with his sister and stuff, but at least she's the only one, you know? Yeah. And he's always been faithful to her. Yeah. Uh, That's that's interesting. It's it's just interesting to get inside Jamie's head to see how he rationalizes things, and we got a lot of that this chapter. What did you got? So I latch onto this. I think maybe no one else in the fandom does. Cat doesn't deny being had by Littlefinger. I've been I've been dropping these little nuggets every so many episodes to you guys. I think it happened. I think it actually happened. She has some real strange feelings about like like uh, somehow undealt with memories about him. I think that she doesn't ever like we're in her head and she doesn't ever like cast them aside like oh that dick or. Like oh he wasn't what I what he turned out to be wasn't what anyone expect like she always it's always kind of very guarded feelings about him and I'm not saying it I'm not saying she was like in love with him but there was something complicated going on there I really think so maybe you guys can just let me be out on that limb all by myself I, I something is niggling in the back of my head that she has bragged about going to Ned as a maid before and I'd have to like look it yeah. up but that's where I'm, I'm being not, silent too is not buying flipping through my book. Liza definitely, and I. But Cat. I thought there was an instance where she's denied it. I, I feel like she's too hung up on, you know, Duty. Um, mm. being proud. Yeah, mm, please don't say that word. This is a family podcast. <laughs> she's too hung up on how she has been, like, sort of the premier Tully child. She's always been obedient. She's always done her duty maybe always except this once there's just something in my brain i i can't let it go there's too many little anecdotes about her history with them that she hangs on to that i don't i think there's something there well like you're you're talking about how like even in this chapter she talked about how she got lost at sea guard with lisa once and like peter was the one that came out Uh yeah but i don't i don't think they I feel like it would have come up more when she went to Peter for help in King's Landing. Like it would have, like Peter wouldn't have been able to resist mentioning it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's the real key here. If it had happened, Peter would have like done a Stannis like epic proclamation, coast to coast. Hey, remember that one time? (laughs) Someone reading. Maybe. Reading for the, from the scroll from her literate. Maybe, okay, maybe, maybe it wasn't even divergentizing. Maybe it was something else. But I, something I think there could very well be some unresolved feelings. Yes, something happened. I don't know what it was. I, would, I just think there's something I there. I wouldn't deny that. Yeah, that's possible. Anyway. Kids are right. kids. We good with Kat for now? Uh, Jamie? Sure. Let's go to Theon, because this is going to be a cool chapter. His daddy lost a war, so he's living in the north. Now his son was stuck between being a kraken and a wolf. Yes, Dion, Greyjoy, with a smile so sly, put an arrow through your eye. Yes, Dion, Greyjoy, make a lady scream and a wonder be a king. Yes, Dion, Greyjoy, 
Loyalty speaks, but there's something there that rigs is Theon Greyjoy. So Theon violently wakes from a horrific dream about bloody-mouthed, child-headed wolves chasing him through the woods, which in my opinion is ten times scarier than wolf-headed children. (laughs) Waking to Reek, reporting that Theon's sister Asha has finally arrived, presumably with forces to help him hold Winterfell. But this is wrong, because she's arrived with only 20 men, 10 of whom she's taking back to Deep Woodmont with her. This is no good, since the Prince of Winterfell is having some issues keeping his people in line. Theon now goes everywhere with guards because his Ironborn are being picked off. Good men like Gelmore the Grim thrown down some steps, and uh, Ginner Rednose drowned in a well. <laughs> the message here being clear that if you have a middlingly clever nickname, your time is short at Winterfell. Anyways, watch out, killers... Poxy Tim! <laughs> exactly. Uh, since the killers can't be found, Theon blamed poor Farlin, the Stark Kennel Master, whom Theon remembers as fondly as Theon can fondly feel about anything. Um, when Theon orders his execution, Farlin goads Theon into swinging the axe himself, saying that my lord Eddard always did his own beheadings. It takes Theon more than three messy blows to finally take off Farlin's head and save face. So Theon is basically the mayor of Paranoia Town by the time Asha arrives and is no match for her politics or her truths. She points out that instead of trying to hold Winterfell, Theon should have raised the castle and brought Bran and Rick into the coast as hostages. There is no way to easily get supplies and reinforcements as deep inland as Winterfell is. And for the Ironborn, their strength comes from their mastery of the sea. So now that Theon has mounted the heads of Bran and Rick and Stark, he's surrounded by enemies on all sides who, despite the fighting led by Rob, can still prey on Theon's vulnerability. So Theon, uh, pardon me, Asha encourages Theon to fall back to the captured Deepwood Mott with her and cut his losses. But Theon good and frost up now, is having none of that. Winterfell is his, and he means to hold it. So Asha leaves him to his foolishness. Luckily, not all hope is lost, though. Reek, that totally not creepy and weirdly cunning handsome devil, is there with a solution for Theon. Theon, he says, give me a bag of silver, and I'll be back with some dudes I know. Theon, Desperate and willing to take the risk that Reek might just take the silver and run, which is what I and any other commoner would have done at this point, Mm -hmm. gives him permission and promises Reek poor Pala, the Winterfell girl who's already been raped by some of the Ironborn who Theon then had whipped. So, you know, that's a thing, giving Reek a woman. That's great. So Theon dreams again that night. And we should probably talk about that dream later. Um, But again, he frantically wakens, this time spooking a naked Wex out of the bedchamber. So last time we discussed Wex (laughs) sleeping at the foot of Theon's bed, we were like all sympathy for the kid. But now we learn he's comfortable enough to sleep in the buff. So Wex is fine. He's living the dream. Imagine this little skinny white butt running out of the room. (laughs) 
<laughs> Wiggle waggling to the side. Mute, so he's not even screaming. Violence, yeah. yeah. So, anyways, to calm his nerves, Theon brutally assaults his bed warmer, Kira, and when that doesn't work, goes for a walk on the outer walls of Winterfell. Here's where we learn, after a chapter of unhinged and blindingly stupid Theon shenanigans, that Theon had not actually captured and killed Bran and Rickon, uh, as he told the Winterfellians. Only him and Reek know the truth. They'd killed Miller's sons, dressed them in Bran and Rickon's clothes, and Reek had flayed and mutilated the boys' heads until they were completely unrecognizable and could pass as Bran and Rickon. Which means Bran and Rickon are alive. Woohoo! Ah, yay! So, now if only one poor would, Catelyn, would tell Cat. literally dying inside. Now we learn the very next chapter that her sons are alive, which is great, but just really emphasizes the pain and anguish she's going through because it's so needless. Oh, my God. Well, we assume they're alive anyways. I would say there is... Chapter for Theon. Yeah, an amazing Theon chapter. So just, like, great imagery, too. Like, I like how uh, Grim led us through... Like Theon dreaming about dressing the boys and the the corpses at the mill and letting us think it was Bran and Rickon, Mm -hmm. especially after that heartbreaking catch after, and then to have it revealed that that it wasn't actually like he really nailed that coffin of of Bran and Rickon regret shut with uh, uh, all of this great Theon. I don't know. I I think he's going crazy, but. and I, yeah. I just sat and felt bad for the Miller boys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even get that excited about Bran and Rickon being alive. Because I was like, oh, these poor little boys had to die for them. That yeah. sucks. Because Theon effed up. God, one of, one of the great them. images he gives in those dream sequences that you mentioned, Brooke, is the uh, teeth below. The vagina oh, dentata? Yes. That's yes. a thing. <laughs> chomp, chomp, chomp. Well, it reminded me of Clerks 2 Pillow Clerks Pants. Clerks 2, baby. Yeah. And if you're out there and you don't know the pillow pants scene, just go to YouTube and type in the pillow pants, and it's hilarious. Oh, you better believe that that soundbite is making it onto this podcast right about here. Okay. <laughs> Actually, not the whole thing, though, so we'll have yeah, to put it in long. our references post. But yeah, but it's yeah, delightful. I've never laughed so hard. I'll have to watch that. It um, is amazing. You know how every girl's parents put a pussy troll in them when the girls are young to keep them from having premarital sex. Sure. Well, Myra's is named Pillow Pants. And so, even though she totally wants to have sex with me, Myra says, if I put my thing in her, Pillow Pants will bite it off. So, I gotta wait until Pillow Pants gets peed out of her body on her 21st birthday before we can have sex. And Myra told you this? Boyfriends and girlfriends talk to each other about sex stuff, Randall. You'd know this if you ever had a girlfriend. Yeah, Vagina Dentata comes up a lot in, like, like amateur alternative literature. Like, if it's a white dude writing, huh. writing about a chick... Typically, vagina dentata is going to come up. It's Why? Great... I didn't even know it had this. It does. That's how I know it. It's a thing. 
Yeah, apparently a, a fear for many men. And when I Wikipedia'd it, a real thing. You can actually develop, wow. well, according to Wikipedia, so as legitimate as that source is, women can have cysts form oh. down in that area. Yeah. And then they develop like features like ears and teeth. And <laughs> they can migrate down into the no. So, so no. It's, it's not like a clean, sharp tooth mod, which is what I would want my vagina to look like. It's like the snaggliest tooth, like like um, devoured twin mouth. <laughs> I am terrified. I know. I'm debating whether I'm I want to Google it or not. I'm completely speechless. Yeah. I I I I woo. Yeah. I wow. Going on there. Wow. Okay. So, so Theon, I think. Go ahead, Skid. Well, one thing I wanted to point out that all those Ironborn that end up dead, Theon's killing them. Right. The reader didn't know. He admits that at the end. Yeah, I mean, he's killed them in order to to make it so that only he and Reek know the truth. Um, and he's. But but I, what I love about it is the way Gurm has taken that. It's a paragraph or two. Taking the reader through that paragraph, Theon's brain actually treats it like oh yeah these guys are winding up dead instead of just mm-hmm. being like oh, yeah, i killed those guys theon's mind is like the great justifier like it can separate itself from any wrongdoing and then like as he mm-hmm. works through it and gets to the end he's like oh yeah i had to kill them because they can't keep secrets but at the beginning he's like these guys are just, just winding what i was up gonna dead. bring up mm-hmm. at one point he even blames his sister like this yep. is all Ash's yes. fault because yes. she hasn't come in time. But like legitimately, she didn't bring her enough people for the castle that I took over. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I went his brain is down a... all the times that he didn't take responsibility. How many was it? He did it at least six times that I've got counted. Wow. With the Miller's wife, he said it was Gelmar who killed you, not me. With <laughs> the Miller's kids, he said this was never what I wanted. They gave me no choice. With Farlin, he said, I had no choice. The Ironborn can't keep secrets. They had to die, and someone had to take the blame for That's, it. That should count as two. Uh, uh, yeah. Bran and Rickon. I treated Bran and Rickon gen- generously. They brought their fate on themselves. Of course, he's... Yeah, we know they're not dead. And then my favorite is the one Brooke brought up, the Asha one. It was her doing, he says, referring to the lack of men sent to him from her. How do you expect me to hold Winterfell with only 20 men? And I thought of Princess Leia on Star Wars. You came in here, but you didn't have a plan for getting out? Not rescue! You came in here, did you have a plan for getting out? <laughs> you're the one that took it over with 30 guys or whatever. Now you're complaining that yeah. she didn't bring enough for you? Leia, there's a yeah. tractor beam keeping us here, so we're probably just going to end up right back in one of these cells. He's the brain, sweetheart. Wow. Okay. Watched it a couple times. <laughs> Yesterday. Oh, did you see? I just found out today on the Korean version of the new Star Wars trailer, there's an extra frame. Mm-hmm. What? I heard about that. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. You gotta check it out. Google yep. Korean Star Wars 7. Okay, I will do they that. They also don't include the Han Solo scene in the trailer. Apparently not interested in that, not that, that bit of nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, I feel like Theon, he honestly doesn't want to do bad things. And he keeps, like, having to justify all those things we just rattled off. But he doesn't, like, want to do bad things. He's gotten to that point, and 
I'm pretty sure that neither of you two have ever gotten to, you know, this far in this point of killing kids and stuff like that. I know I haven't, at least recently. Yet. But, you know, you've ever gotten to that point in a in any type of situation where you recognize where you've crossed the point of no return. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, I've done this act now and I can never take that back. And Theon, we could say he's crossed that in a number of different instances here. We could debate about where it was, but it almost feels like the big one to me was killing those boys. And like, it's really spiraling out of control now. Yeah. And and the worst part about it is he has an out. Ash has said to him, like, you're an idiot. You're a complete fool, but you're still family. Come with me. Like this will smooth itself out. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like he was, it was almost self punishment that he was staying. He's like, no, I'm going to hold Winterfell. I did this. Yeah. 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 Um, Obstinance for sure. Yeah. And like in this like weird, and I, I think he really is going insane at this point in this, this weird state of mind he's in like Ash is really smart, but even if she was just like average intelligence, he would be no match for her, for her. She's just too capable, too smart, can outwit him at every turn. And that's got to be just fueling the She's fire a remarkable of, his, character. Of, of his insanity. Yeah, definitely one of my favorites. She's she's awesome. She's also just kind of got his number. You ever meet that person in your life that just kind of owns you? Like, they just kind of, they always just seem like they're one step ahead of you. And it's just kind of irksome. Both of like, you for me. <laughs> like, and you can't seem to do anything about it. They just kind of always seem to just beat you somehow. So that's Asha um... for Theon. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. My only advice it's, when you run into very... these people is to cut them out of your life. It's, I was going to say, yeah, maybe my siblings have this on me and I can't cut them out of my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no matter how hard you try. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. What alternative did like? do you think Theon had once he lost the boys? Once he lost Bran and Rickon, how else could he have acted? Got a couple ideas, but... Knowing is what he, he right and saying he had no choice but to cover it up the way he did? Like, what would have happened if he would have gone back to Winterfell after hunting for Bran and Rickon all day and said, I didn't find him? The reality mm-hmm. is they would have all laughed behind his back. He could yeah, have I think it and would murdered have more of possibly them. Possibly encouraged him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could have raped and murdered more of them to like try to put them in their place, which would have caused more unrest. I don't know, yeah. He's I kind mean, of in a pickle, isn't he? A little bit, but I mean... It, I always hate when people say, like, there was no choice. Well, there are always other choices. Yeah. Like, this kind of put your head down and barrel through is, it's, you know, it's pretty medieval. But, yeah, I mean, he had other choices. I don't think he liked them. PR hat for me. Yeah, PR hat for me would be just don't tell anyone at all. Like, I think it was a huge blunder for him to wake everyone up and try to force them to tell uh, him where Bran and Rickon were. I'd just say keep it quiet and be like, yeah, we've got them. We've got them hidden away up in their bedrooms or whatever. Oh, yeah. Just don't tell anybody and handle it internally. And, yeah, you're still going out and you're looking for them. But keep it quiet. Like, don't admit to everyone that you lost the two boys. Like, I mean, he would have had to incorporate some people. Like, he's already noted that the Ironborn can't fucking ride horses to save their lives. And they didn't have sure. any dogs to hunt. So they would have had to get, bring the kennel mm-hmm. master in. So, like, they would have had to involve some people. But, yeah, I mean, he could have definitely kept it quieter than rousting everyone from their beds. 
I think part of it, though, was uh, he was hoping he could rouse them from their beds, thinking that somebody was hiding them. Right. And or that, catch them off guard. To catch them off know. guard. But, but if, if if you follow your, your train of thought, and he just bluffed, and was like, yeah, we got them hidden away, and somebody was hiding them, then he really looks like a douchebag. So it's a pretty big bluff to That's play. True. Yep. Yeah, I think I would have pulled a Gregor Clegane move and <laughs> just torturing. gathered everybody in the courtyard and started killing one of them every hour until someone spoke up. And don't forget to ask where the gem and, gems and silver are. Well, of course. Yeah, that's our brookie. Well, it gets the job done. It does. It's efficient. <laughs> what What was your other thought, Matt? You said you had a couple of theories. That was it. Ah. I lied. There's only one. Okay. So we agree my solution is the best one? Sure. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, one more, one quick <laughs> thing. Asha jabs at Theon and says, you wouldn't want your sister to go back alone, would you? There are dire wolves prowling the dark. <laughs> oh, she gets him a couple good times. When he, like, I laughed out loud on like, that one. When he bragged about taking Winterfell, and she's like, oh, I know what a fierce warrior you are. I saw the heads on your gate. Yeah. Tell me who gave you the most trouble, the babe or the cripple. Yeah. That's what Good I mean. One, she's Asha. just got him. Yeah. She should just have, like, a deputy on hand just to high-five her every time she, every time she speaks. She got him even without trying. Nailed she it. was sitting down there yeah. eating, and Theon had to redress himself because he's like, Oh, fuck, she'd hate this. Yes, totally. <laughs> Making fun of his crown. <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah, that was something that stuck out to me, too, was that ironborn-ness still doesn't come naturally to Theon. Yeah, at all. He still has to make like the conscious decision that, like, oh, no, I'm ironborn. I don't do this. It's yeah. still unnatural for him. And I think that's uh, yeah. that experience is funny, but it's also rather telling. Yeah. It's like, Theon, why didn't you just embrace the fact that you are a coddled northerner, as coddled as they mm-hmm. are now, gone to join Rob and fought with him? Like, things would have turned out. Yeah. And Theon will not be going crazy. And when he's, even when he's chopping off Farland's head, he thinks back to who? Ned. Eddard. He says, Ned, Eddard never needed more than a single blow. Like, he still goes back to Eddard all the time. Well, Farland said that. No, uh, yeah, they Theon both, says it too. Yeah, yeah, they both say it. Theon, mm. Theon thinks it after. Not to excuse Theon from any of these actions, because he has agency and they're his fault. But, mm-hmm. Brooke, you said, why does he just go fight with Rob? He did. Rob sent him on that path. Like, what it... We talked about this, I think, in that chapter when we realized he sent Theon. And Cat actually says, you shouldn't have done that. And, like, what did Rob think was going to happen? realistic yeah we've talked about that too it was like that's one of to me one of rob's biggest blunders was sending theon yeah and you know not theon clearly made a billion bad choices since then but if rob keeps him tight maybe theon is okay and never goes crazy who knows i mean he's still creepy he's still a creepy dude with questionable morals and stuff but you know maybe he's one of those fringe on society guys that makes it through okay you know yeah to me he's just like one of those kids that's a tool in high school. But, you know, in the end, you check up on him on Facebook 10 years later, and he's got a nice family and an accounting job and stuff like that. Dude, I never check up on those guys. <laughs> nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes, especially when they're young, and nobody's a hopeless, lost cause. 
except for Theon. (laughs) 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 I'm done with this guy. (laughs) Brooke, your hatred is showing. (laughs) There's really nothing more you can defend about the guy. I agree with you, Scad, though. Huge blunder in sending him to Balon in the first place. Yeah. All right. We done with Theon? Brooke sounds like she's done with Theon for good. It's you know you're give getting her any every more of those chapters. Theon chapter from here on out, bro. I, I think, every single one. I think I'm onto her. I think she's like, if right. I just if, if I just mo- mope through these, maybe they'll never give me any more Ironborn. Yeah. Mope? <laughs> so critical. No, oh my God. Theon is not redeemable in any way. All right, can we I please move on? The, move move yeah, on to the character that that everyone thinks I hate. Sansa. Yeah, I don't I don't know where this comes done from. Done to. You don't? No. You uh you're you're pretty judgmental about this thirteen year old girl. You gotta you, give us that. Better. You've gotten better listen, over time. Listen, listen. But listen. <laughs> I am treating this listening. character as she grows in the story. So I was uh-huh. very critical of her early on. You may remember that early on she made some pretty shitty choices. I don't yeah, hate the character. She was 12. Arya was eight, and she made way better choices. Uh, we have to have this conversation again. No, we don't. <laughs> I love Sansa. I'm a big Sansa fan. I love her arc. I think she's great. I think at the beginning of the story, she makes a lot of questionable choices, and I'm not gonna like give her a pass because she does cool shit later. All right, but just know that Brooke and I aren't the only ones that think you hate her. <sighs> I know that Twitter. Uh, I can't remember her name now. Anyway. <laughs> Sansa! Yeah. All Who right. Scott loves? I love the character. I really do. She's like in my top five for 20. Top five? <laughs> or 20? <laughs> All right. Uh, Singing. And the I, sounds it, was, of... it was Jamie who said that. Sorry. Jamie. That's right. Uh, Twitter follower Jamie. That's right. Don't know when a prince will come, but surely he's gonna come for Sansa Stark. Harry looking like a toy, and her daddy killed a wolf. Is Sansa Stark? Uh, Hi, Jamie. Singing and the sounds of battle preparation mingle into a single melody as Sansa meets Joffrey to see him off to battle in his beautiful but empty armor. But she meets Tyrion first, who wishes her well with his witty banter, and indicates that perhaps he should have sent her with Tommen. Uh, if you remember, up, up off the Rosby Road to be safe uh, in case the city is taken. But before she can finish a conversation with Tyrion, Joffrey enters and demands her attention. Her exchange with Joff is pretty par for the course uh, of their relationship. He's an overconfident, pouty little turd, as he promises to slay his uncle after demanding Sansa to kiss his sword. That's his sword for luck. When he indicates that he won't be leading the troops, Sansa can't help herself and replies, They say my brother Rob always goes where the fighting is thickest. Though he is older than your grace, to be sure, a man grown drop. to the max. Then we get a few pages of praying to the seven. Uh, I'll spare you guys all the details of all the prayers and stuff, except to say virtually everyone is covered in these prayers. God can't possibly win. <laughs> also, Sansa prays for Tyrion and the Hound, uh, but actively plays, prays for Joff to fail in every way imaginable. So... Uh, after praying, she makes her way to the Queen's Ballroom, uh, where all the noble ladies, greybeards, and babes uh, of nobility are gathered to await the fate of the battle and the fate, uh, really, of their own lives. 
Cersei is there, as, uh, along with everyone of note that isn't fighting. This includes Illyn Payne, there ostensibly as a last line of defense, but his presence seems darker than that given his position as the king's headsman. Cersei taunts Sansa, telling her that if the battle turns, turns bad, no one can be trusted, including the sellswords, the servants, and that anything really can happen when a city is sacked. Sansa replies that true knights would never harm women and children, but even before Cersei mocks her, she knows in her heart that it isn't true. And that's how the chapter ends. Uh, kind of a, a kind of a battle prep chapter for Sansa. Kind of a lot of religion in this uh, in this episode between the the cat and Jamie stuff, and uh, now a lot of the praying with Sansa. Um, mm-hmm. Any any thoughts from you guys about all the all the praying and stuff in here? I can't remember if it was in this chapter or another chapter in this episode, but someone brings up the seven hells. I know in past chapters people have referred to hell, but I never knew that there were seven hells before, which I find interesting. Very daunting. Yeah. Well, and also very in keeping with the seven theme. Seven. Yeah. But uh, you gotta wonder. Uh, yeah. Is it? Is it? Is it like, like Dante's um, rings of hell, or is it like the mother's hell? The right. Crown's the hell, hell for each of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah strangers held the hellish hell or is it the best hell because it's like opposite it's just natural <laughs> it's just very interesting i agree yeah it's very interesting like how some of the religion works its way into their laws and customs and some doesn't and their religious tolerance and Ill- intolerances and yeah it is like i don't i don't have like solid opinions on it but you're right, we do get uh, some interesting insight into like how people take solace in their faith in this chapter. Yeah, yeah and uh, one thing I liked, Scott, you mentioned how Sansa prayed for everybody except herself. Mm. Well, that was kind of a good moment for her. Uh, she prayed even for Jon Snow, but she never mentions herself in those prayers. Oh, good it was, catch. It was a cool moment for Sansa. Yeah. Yeah, or or is it just not often that like would you not pray for yourself to these gods? I'm I'm a bit of a prayer. Uh and I sometimes feel selfish how much I'm praying for myself. Yeah, and, and <laughs> but, sorry, uh, that's that's what I'm saying is like um in I guess mainstream Christianity it, you do have like a personal relationship with mm-hmm. whoever you're praying to and uh and I wonder if this is Sansa being unselfish, or if it's just not a cu- if, if it's not accustomed to pray for yourself. Mm. Which that could be true. Might be a thing. Mm-hmm. That is interesting because it seems like you pray you pray to the mother to protect the sons that are fighting. You pray to the warrior to maybe bless those people that are in battle. You pray for you know like you're praying to specific types of the god in order to help somebody in need for a specific thing, right? But I guess that could still apply and to I guess, yourself. Oh, you know what, I think we Doing ha- that, it sort of indirectly prays for yourself. It's true. Like, yeah. she wants, yeah. you know, these soldiers to be protected, so yeah. she doesn't... Now I'm thinking about it, though, and I have to go back and check. I think Catelyn has prayed for herself, like, to the mother, hmm. to watch over her as a mother. So, yeah, I think, mm-hmm. I think maybe Sansa is being... is growing. Yeah. Is escaping the mold that Scat trapped her in. <laughs> well, exactly where I was going, so excellent segue, Brooke. 
I think this chapter shows a lot that she's growing up. She is rolling with the punches here. <laughs> even she even to the point of showing her... In- I know that. I agree. But And I've said that in, in other chapters where I've had Zanza. So in, when they start praying for Joffrey, she shows agency. She gets up and leaves. She's like, ah, oh, I'm not, no, I'm not going to be a part that. of this. Right? Mm-hmm. Gets up and leaves. On the way to, I, I kind of skipped this whole part of my summary, but on the way back, she runs into Lawless and uh, Phallus and Phallus? Phallus. Ha ha! That's the best name in the series. Um... <laughs> She runs into them and, and helps, right? Like, tries to be right. the voice of reason to to this panic-stricken girl, right? And, you know, she's she's becoming ver- a, a very strong, strong woman that thinks for herself and has agency and believes what she needs to believe to get through, right? Mm-hmm. And she's even standing up to Joffrey a little bit. A little bit. That. Yeah. It w- I loved hey, it. Sassy. Sometimes you get by with little victories, right? Yes. And That's she... a Matt Nathanson song. Get get by with little victories. I learned to get by with little victory. And I, I've said before um, in, in talking about Arya that one of the things that you always know, or, or at least I, I think this, Arya is still Arya because her brain is always in Arya mode. It's always kind of having these little jabs and these little moments that are very distinctly Arya, even when she's going through all this transformation. And Mm -hmm. one of the best things about Sansa that shows me that she's kind of turning it around a little bit uh, is all the, you know, she's got all these little uh, thoughts in her brain when she's talking to Joffrey. She mouths the one, right? She says the one, but she's also kind of mocking him in her brain while he's talking to her all the time. And that's indicative of her just kind of becoming who she is. And I love it. That's true. Little pieces of sleeping out her mouth. <laughs> and other places. That's true. She's still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Her red flower is still blooming. Oh, goodness. Thank you for putting it that way. I. That's how Cersei put it. I know. <laughs> I think that might be the most respectful way to put it. So. <laughs> I prefer the term shark week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's no way I'm saying that. But since you did. <laughs> the best. What happens when they coincide? Yeah, has that ever happened, Brooke? Have you ever wow. seen Shark Week on Shark Week? Oh I don't gosh. have cable. She bragged. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Hey, Stannis, uh, clever of Joffrey, he named his sword Heart Eater mm. right before this battle with a guy who's taken a burning heart as his sigil. And Sansa hopes that uh, Stannis takes it from him and throws it in the river. Yeah, yeah. Oh, honestly, not a ton more to talk about in this chapter. No, it's Unless... kind of it's kind of uh, the calm before the storm for, for Sansa, I think, yeah. right? Like, all that stuff at the beginning is, is kind of fun. She's You, you can kind of... George is amazing, honestly. The, like, the way he's written that, and I, I tried my best to capture it in, in my little summary, but the sounds and the way they meld together, creating this, just this feeling for Sansa that you can almost feel yourself as a reader almost being there, right? Like, hearing the sounds outside the gates, but hearing this growing cacophony of voices that are praying and singing, like, just a beautiful, like, you can, ju- can you, could you guys almost be there? 
It was amazing yeah, to me reading it. It puts you in the moment. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so interesting to see it from other points of view. In traditional, you know, fantasy or whatever, you're the battles are seen through the point of view primarily of the warriors. And it's interesting to get this lead up from someone like Sansa. Yes. Uh, this really is the beginning of the Battle of the Blackwater, right? Towards the end of the chapter, she talks about how she starts to hear the sounds of battle and mm-hmm. everything. Yep. Um, but still, it's from a very different viewpoint. It's not at the forefront yet, yep. but still it very much is. It's really fascinating how it does agree with you. Well articulated. I don't know how well articulated it is. It sounded like I was grunting and going, you know, you know, you know a lot. Well, but, you uh, did, but, but Brooke that's and I my know way. how to it's translate endearing. that now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we know. <laughs> no, it was good. You do know. Um, you do. Well, should we get to the main event? Maybe yeah. not of this episode, but maybe of the whole book. And uh, go to this Davos chapter. Eyes are crying from the onions in the hold. Save steady boy, save steady boy. Finger bones in a bag mean the truth will be told. Steady Davos, steady Davos. Yeah, buckle friggin' up. Because mm-hmm. uh, this is where we get the fool's eye view of the action that Sansa was only faintly hearing. So it's wartime, and Davos is captaining his ship, Black Betha, up Blackwater Bay with the rest of Stannis' fleet, trying to land men on the shore of King's Landing. The siege has begun. He's flanked by his sons, Dale, captaining the Wraith, and Allard, captaining the Lady Mar- uh, Maria. So on either side of his ship, uh, Davos has another son, Mathos, also serving on the Black Betha, and a fourth son, Merrick, serving on the lead ship of the fleet, Fury. So including Devon, who is squire for Stannis uh, and is with him during the battle, Davos has five frickin' kids fighting in this war. So needless to say, the stakes are high. Unfortunately, Davos isn't feeling great about the situation. Davos is a smuggler, as he often reminds us, not a battle-tested war captain. So he probably would have gone about the siege differently than Lord High Captain Sir Emery Florent, who is leading the 200 ships, is going about it. For instance, he might have sent some swift, sneaky ships up the river to probe for possible traps and just to scout the area. But Sir Emery don't have time for that nonsense. The fleet is already late to the party due to poor winds, so they're just going to go full throttle into the bay. They know their contingent is exponentially larger than Joffrey's, four times larger, and Emery politely but coldly shuts down Davos' suggestion of scouting during the war council. So, thanks, Onion Knight. Sit your flea bottom down already. That's basically what Sir Emery said. Nice. Like in an accent. Flea bottom. It's from flea bottom, guys. He's from Flea Bottom. Okay. I get it. <laughs> so Davos knows from a small group of fishing boats they caught further down the coast that the imp is expecting them and has been building a boom chain. So this is a fairly common defense where like a, a chain is 
strung across a harbor entrance or a river, and Imri might have to stop and attack the boom winches, so what holds them on either side of the bank, or cut it, or you can even try to break it with a tough ship. It's just something to think about. So know that this chain is there, and they're going to have to work their strategy around it. Also something to consider, not wearing full armor on the deck of a warship going into battle. So Davos might be relatively inexperienced at war, but not to fighting. He's very experienced with that. And knows that a fully armored man goes over, he's dead. So not really worth protecting yourself with metal armor if you you could drown just as easily. Anyways... The battle begins, and things immediately devolve into just pretty much identifying boats by name. That's the chapter. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's obviously a total scrum of the rush with 200 boats, but Davos identified a number of like just total gems. And my favorites, I will now list for you. <laughs> yes, please let it be one of mine. One of mine. One of them I'm calling as as the band name of the podcast. Okay, please proceed. These are my favorite ship names: the Bold Laughter, the Harridan, <laughs> the Pike. <laughs> a Harridan is like a complainy old woman. Oh really? Why oh, would I you name that. your ship that? That's awesome. Yes. Um, the ships Piety, Prayer, and Devotion. Obviously, mm. the party ships. Yeah. <laughs> sea demon horned honor what is horned honor yeah. <laughs> I can tell you uh, dog's nose ragged jenna that's mine that's, that's, ragged that's jenna. a compliment right there ragged jenna is the i like you jenna name of the you're kind of <laughs> ragged jenna you probably wouldn't bring to a debutante ball <laughs> like a little a... ragged a great like punk rock band name it is, yeah. like a ska name she's seen better days but my favorite name by far lady shame oh lady shame <laughs> lady shame so anyways back to the battle davos has two last thoughts before the battle gets going one that it's a shame that Salador San has been assigned to the back contingent fleet with the rest of the Lysini ships. So he might have been forced into fighting. I mean, he was paid and convinced, but pretty much forced into fighting a Stannis. Um, oh, what's that word for making people fight? Ugh. It doesn't matter. He made him do it. But Davos trusts Salador more than any of these lordly captains on the sea. And it's just a shame that he's he's in the back and not up front, um, being a contributing member of the fighting force. The second thought is that the boom chain is there. It is there in the mouth of the Blackwater Rush, lowered into the water, so not on top of the water where it might catch a ship, bright and shiny new from the chain uh, links in the chain that davos can see davos asked himself why why are they letting the ship into the bay why haven't they raised the chain like are they going to cut the fleet in half like like what's their play here so severed fingers tingling with davos sense they press on as commanded and as the fleet comes in the three whores those uh catapults rain down rocks 
and boulders, and they're hit with flaming pitch pots. Black Bertha manages one good ramming and another successful ship capture before Davos can even catch his own breath and take stock of the battle. But when he does finally lift his head, things are looking surprisingly good despite the grave cost, and they'll probably start landing men soon. And, uh, you gotta ask, why would you put that into the universe, Davos? Why would you, why would you think a positive thought in the middle of battle? Because just then, the swordfish, a Stannis ship outfitted with a huge, ponderous ram in the shape of its namesake, hits a heavily laden Joffrey ship, spilling a literal boatload of wildfire. <laughs> so having been assured by Lord High Captain Sir Emery Florent that there are few alchemists left who can produce the substance, Stannis's fleet sure weren't expecting a ship full of it, not expecting that ship to go up like the Halifax explosion in the middle of the harbor either. So Davos is knocked completely off deck and into the water. When he looks up, he sees like a mushroom cloud. I don't think they would know to describe it as a mushroom cloud, 50 feet high of green fire. And he thinks of his sons as he's swept away towards the bay, hoping they'll make it to open water and Salador Sands fleet as well. So they might pick them out of the water. But then he actually looks down river, down the rush and the boom chain has finally been raised. Already a dozen galleys are crashed up into it and the current is pushing more into this green mouth of burning hell. Da, da, da. And that's the end of the chapter. So we leave with Davos hanging on to a piece of ship wreckage, floating toward this horrible dam of wildfire burning ships. That was wow. that was Green's plan all along. Crazy, right? Easily one of the best chapters in the book. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Well, yeah, well summarized too. You were on point with that summary. And thank you, Thanks. Matt, for Lady giving me the previous Sansa chapter. Also, <laughs> you know how we roll. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what did what Scad do to hurt you? <laughs> I love Sansa. Hey, I've got a spreadsheet that shows who covered which chapters when, and uh, you were due for a Sansa chapter, Scad, and Brooke was due for a Davos chapter. You got the best Davos chapter. Well, you know, best in certain terms. Worst of his life, easily. Right. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, losing, uh, who know? I mean, who knows how many sons? But you got to assume he's going to lose some um, with this disaster. Yeah. So it sounds like the the entire fleet that was in I don't know a half mile proximity of that explosion probably got caught by the wildfire. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it had to the way that stuff spreads and how much was in there. Well, so... even the ones that don't, if they're downstream of it, they got floating disaster wreckage coming their way that can catch them on fire. Mm-hmm. Right? So like, yeah. even if they didn't get in the initial blaze, it's coming after them. It's floating right at them. Yeah. It's crazy. This fire will burn underwater. So it's coming for you. Yeah. This was a first, mm with maybe the exception of a little bit of description of the battle of the green fort clear back in game of thrones but this is the first really big epic battle scene that george has described right that he's really gone into detail in describing oh uh, yeah the I other ones so. have kind of been like secondhand accounts of like after the battle 
and stuff like that. But this is like your first time point of view, someone right in the middle of it. And oh my gosh, it is a roller coaster yeah. of, of just emotions. This so felt, cool. This feels to me like it mirrors the, the climactic peak of Game of Thrones where Ed was beheaded. Like, like that big crowd, lots of people, big tragedy, multiple points of view. Like mm-hmm. this is this is the next iteration of that feeling for me. Yeah. Anyways, I think it's definitely uh, the the climax of this book of this whole book. Yeah, I mean it's it's a climax that lasts like five chapters or something, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's a long. Yeah. That's, oh. a, that's a if long. That's a climax so women lucky. dream of. <laughs> I'm sure men dream of it too, right? Uh, mostly, <laughs> it's like let's let's get this thing. Happening. You want to come until you cramp up, right? <laughs> Great. <laughs> Brooke, let me tell you just something about my fitness level in general. <laughs> Cramping is easy, and I don't ever want it to happen. <laughs> wow, that got raunchy fast. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was I'm talking blushing. about like running and stuff. Uh-huh. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, super interesting that Davos had never really commanded militarily. Yeah, he kind of notes that he, he calls himself as... a maiden in this type of affair, mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah, is kind of funny. Seemed... He he notes he notes that right in the middle of observing all these crap decisions that Brooke laid out so well. And Brooke, you and I are on the same page. I had a list of them, and I think you hit every single one <laughs> of mm-hmm. of the mistakes he uh, noted. Also, like common sense too, like. Oh yeah. my gosh! Send people ahead. Yeah, um, yeah. Emery Send was s- super excited mm-hmm. about capturing those fishing boats, where um, Davos learned that the boom chain was a possibility. Yeah, because he was only excited because he wanted to give his men a, a taste of battle. Battle. I'm making air quotes right now. Yeah. To, to, to get them boats. hungry for it. Yeah, yeah fishing boats. Yeah. Like, just what well, an idiot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could. They did talk about how there was like big storms and stuff that were messing with the ships and everything. They even lost like what, like a dozen ships or something to these storms. Well, so I can see like like twelve, wasn't it? Maybe not two. Anyways, Mostly but they lost two. ships. Yeah, so I can see kind of like Imri's uh, maybe justifying it by saying I wanted to get into this battle before more storms come and potentially decimate my fleet even more. But yeah, I'm I'm with you guys that for the most part. He thought this was a done deal, and he was ready to get started. Well, so many errors, so many errors. I didn't get the impression the storms were still an issue. I thought that was kind of before they came into Massey's Hook and had the shelter of the bay. I thought once you got into Massey's Hook, you were pretty safe. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but well, they also had 200 ships. Yeah, well, that's what I'm getting at. This is a classic business case of sunk cost. Forget the 12 ships that you lost, or the 20 or 50, however many it was that you lost, sunk cost. Literally, their boats and they're sunk. Don't think about <laughs> them. Your decision needs to be what is ahead of you and what your best decision is. Thinking about like, oh no, I'm late because, you know, the storm slowed me down or I lost these ships, I gotta get going and like, no, no. What is ahead of you? What is the best decision you can make now? Forget all of that other crap. It doesn't matter. It's sunk. It's out of the picture. Yeah, because King's Landing had never been conquered before. No one's ever taken King's Landing by force, is what I should say. Mm, yeah, I was just going to say. The only other time it's been taken is Lannister because the gates were opened and 
Yeah, because the gates were opened to them. But taking the castle by force has never happened. So you've got to take it seriously, and you've got to be deliberate and decisive yeah. and uh, careful. Mm. Carefully decisive. Can you do that? Here's <laughs> yeah, you can you can be. <laughs> and here's what I want to know about the boom chain. Why not just take it out of the equation? And I know it's like hindsight is twenty twenty or whatever, but they've got blacksmiths around. Send somebody to the damn tower on the south side. Break the chain down. Like just cut it out. Yeah. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't want... Stan- they make it a point that Stannis has been sitting there for like weeks or days? I think they say days. Go check that tower out. They say they've got guys posted below it. Why not just disable the chain entirely? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be difficult. They said they've got archers and stuff in the towers. So, and I imagine it would be an undertaking to cut it, but it seems like it would be worth the cost of life. Yeah, of ships too. Just mm-hmm. just run that big swordfish ship into it. Yeah. Like a drunken bro late at night at a sorority party that just needs to spear something. The swordfish. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, Sorry. Man. But that's the that's the way that thing lumbered toward that barge. It was like, alright, I finally got my target. Bam. I know, it's Accurate. disgusting. Ugh. I would say we find out more about this battle in the next chapter. Yeah, should we? I'm trying to... This is such an epic chapter. I feel like we should be discussing more of it, but I think we can get even more into it when we get through Tyrion's. You want me to cheapen it really quick? <laughs> more? Yeah. I, more more than more, more than the bro thing, I think. Yeah. If, if it's possible. Uh, l- like listening to Davos clinging to whatever crap he can find, whatever wreckage he can find, it reminded me of Titanic. <laughs> utter chaos plus fire there was room for jack on that door there was there was, was. Room for jack just, on that door. just balance the weight yes yeah. oh damn it jack. To you too mm-hmm. yeah. it could have figured this other worm Ugh. i'll never let go i promise that's about 10 seconds longer than i've ever wanted to talk about titanic on this podcast well i do what i can <laughs> All right. Want to jump to Tyrion and then just get right back into the Blackwater discussion? Yes, please. Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies. Tyrion, Lannister, or Imp, if you please. Okay. So we open on Tyrion observing. Observing? That's like me calling it brooch. Wicked. That's my brooch for the episode, and wicked. <clears throat> we open on Tyrion observing what Gurm rather poignantly describes as the Jade Holocaust, which we decided to title this episode. Which is like, like he ran out of objectives. I gotta. He says Jade, Jade about twenty times, actually, in so these chapters. It's so bad. I know that, like. Like World War Two Holocaust doesn't exist in this universe, right? Still, I feel like you can like avoid that word. I used the word Holocaust in our last episode when referring to ants. Did you? I did. didn't even yep. pick it up. <laughs> yeah. So- is- sorry, listeners. I didn't know that was a bad word, other than the context of. Uh, well, sorry. 
your use of it didn't get published and it didn't have the ejected jade in front of it. <laughs> like it's so bad. I liked it. Uh, I do oh. like it as our as our episode title. I was gonna say we're about to publish something with Whatever. its name. So, <laughs> do we need to change something real quick? No. All right. So, it's what he describes as the Jade Holocaust, and it's the carnage that comes as a result of the countless jars of wildfire Tyrion has spent months preparing and that have ignited and are now engulfing Stannis' fleet. So, the carnage is not lost on Tyrion, as he's fully aware of the hundreds of souls perishing in the Blackwater. He doesn't seek to deflect blame for their deaths, but does settle on sharing it with Stannis, thinking this is your work as much as mine. So he's torn from his thoughts by his grace. Joffrey, I'm going to make you lick blood off my sword because that sexy Baratheon, who is completely oblivious to the overall plan and is worried about his ships that are burning. Tyrion justifies himself, saying that no matter what, those ships were lost. And he then deflects Joffrey's attention by telling him he can do what he's been waiting forever for, taking the now-dead antlermen who were men of King's Landing who supported Stannis, who had had actual antlers nailed to their heads and launching them by catapult over the mudgate and into the Blackwater. It's just really comforting to know that the king is focused on just what's right at this point and protecting, you know, his subjects and everything. Yeah, I didn't look too much into this, but are they alive when they're flung? Uh, he mentions that their corpses are something that is oh, mentioned. Damn. Imagine okay. nailing the antlers to their head would have killed them. Maybe not. Mm, short nails. Depends yeah, on where you're nails. nailing. Yeah, I suppose. So Tyrion, meanwhile, is pleased, for the most part, that his plans are running mostly as anticipated. The fleet is burning, and the ships have built an effective barrier of wildfire, as Brooke describes, as they've all tried to escape at the same time but ran into Tyrion's chain. However, a couple ships were able to make it through the hellish flames and were able to land troops outside King's Landing's walls. Some, in fact, had made it as far as in as the King's Gate and were bashing away at said gate with a battering ram. So uh, Sakansu's Mappas of uh, King's Landing, the Mudgate, is at the like southwest corner of King's Landing. So they were able to make it clear up the river and land some troops down there. So dutifully rushing to supervise the gate's defense, Tyrion calls for whoever's in charge of protecting said gate to form up and prepare to lead troops out in a sortie to wipe out the attackers. He gets an immediate no from none other than Sandor Clegane, wounded from previous engagements during the day and who belligerently proclaims, bugger that and bugger you. We all need to start using the word bugger more. Done. Yep. Hashtag other bugger. Troops yeah. So other troops, just waiting for someone to stand up and be the first to refuse, then start to leapfrog on to uh, Sander, saying that their ranks were already decimated from previous sorties and da 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 da. Tyrion reminds them that they weren't hired to fight in some tourney. This is their job. But knowing that the hound is done, he's not going to go out, Tyrion knows they must have someone to lead them. Recognizing that no one else is qualified or able, he abruptly steps into the role and proclaims that he will lead the troops out himself. Now, if anything, he thinks they'll follow him based purely on the fact that he's a dwarf, and it'll all make them look like huge pussies if he goes to fight and they don't. 
Indeed, he proclaims, they say I'm a half-man. What does that make the lot of you? Not surprising, this works, and more and more men obediently form up to fight. Uh, Tyrion, at the front of the small contingent and armed for battle, then prepares for the gate in front of him to open, praying that when he rides out, there will be others beside him. And that's where the chapter ends. Math is not my strong suit, but I think it would make them less than half men. Indeed. <laughs> Quarter. I want to throw yeah. that out there. Count your meter stick. <laughs> um, you know what's interesting about this and what's amazing is I didn't know who to cheer for reading these two chapters. It's like during Davos's chapter, I was cheering for him to succeed. And during Tyrion's chapter, I was cheering for him to succeed. And I don't remember any other story or anything that's done that to me. Hmm. Did you guys feel the same way, or were you on one side in particular? No, I was rooting for Stannis to succeed the first time I read it. My uh-huh. hatred for Joffrey and Cersei the first time I read this series blinded me for a lot of things. Um, I really did not like them, especially Joffrey. Yeah. And so anything that got Joffrey dead or off the throne was what I rooted for Mm -hmm. pretty heartily. So while I didn't want Tyrion to die or anything, so like, you know, I had my, I had, you know, I had him tucked away in my mind as somebody that I didn't want to to perish. But yeah, I was rooting for Stannis to win the whole time. Right. And I think that's where I'm coming from, too, is maybe not cheering for a particular side, but you're cheering for certain people to make it out, even though those people are on the quote-unquote enemy side. I just think it's brilliant writing by Gurm to go into so many different heads. Totally. And uh, and do that to you. Totes yeah, I think I was really cheering for Sandor, too. Yeah. Or at least felt felt a lot of the emotions he was feeling. Because like, I would mm-hmm. be the exact same way, even not having been horrifically burned as a child. I'd be like, nope, had enough of this. We're done here. It's not worth it. Let them take the city. Anything's got to be better than Joffrey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah. um, it was uh, Tyrion really rose up as a leader. No matter what his affiliations are, his was definitely the most heroic role so far we've seen. Yeah, yeah he's, I mean, he's written to be a mastermind. He stepped in this up too. Yeah, a master. So so his brain. His brain is responsible for the first half of the chapter and, and the, the dominance of the fire and the fleet, the Stannis' fleet is getting crushed. And his courage and personality are the savior of this, and his mouth are the savior <laughs> at, the, at, the end of the, at the end of the chapter at the King's Gate, right? So it's mm. like, he's just, he's just, yeah, he's the hero of this, of this whole, of this whole battle, really, both in grand plan and... And in the little nitty-gritty moments where somebody is needed to just make it happen, he's done both. He's going to go out and do it. Yeah, it's really impressive stuff. And and even so, uh, even he admits before he, he goes, I think it's before he goes down to, to lead the sortie, he goes and admits even this brilliant plan that's got all these ships on fire, it still looks like we're going to lose. There are enough ships to get Stannis' men across. And this mm-hmm. city's not going to hold, probably, unless I got some other trick up my sleeve, right? That's kind of mm. what the impression I'm getting from him, anyway. Yeah, you get this, you know, from the Davos thing, it feels like a holocaust, like no one is left alive. But then when you step back and look at it, 
Stannis's fleet had 200 ships in it. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but they've got 20,000 men in his army. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of them did sink with some of those ships. They went down with it. But still, 20,000 is a lot of men. And it's compared to the Lannisters who had, uh, I think it says somewhere, 50 ships. It still seems like a lot. but um, And like less than 7,000 men. The odds are and, still and their pretty men stacked. And their men aren't hardy either. Yeah, there's 2,000 quote-unquote decent yeah. members of the City Watch. Yeah. And then... The uh, other ones are brawn got, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other... And there's only like 300 actual knights. Yeah. Uh, they do have the advantage of being behind a big wall. They do. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned sunk costs in the last chapter with Davos. And, and Matt, I think you highlighted it pretty well in your chapter summary. Tyrion understands a sunk cost. He mm-hmm. understands... He actually sees things as sunk costs before they're actually sunk. He knows that this fleet of there of Joffrey's is a no-win. And he forfeits it from the beginning. He's like, this is a sunk yeah. cost. We're not going to win that battle. Game over. Pleasure barges and everything. Yeah, give those, them up. Those guys, to me, are the other heroes of this battle. The pleasure the, barges? The uh, captains of some of these ships. Yeah, the oh. pleasure barges. <laughs> the captains of some of these ships... That knew they had to know they were sunk costs. Yes, you right. Think so there's even if they didn't know about the wildfire thing, which is it's yeah. very probable that Tyrion didn't tell them. They're still staring down two hundred ships. Worse than and that, they've got to just know we're screwed. Listen, guys. Screwed. Listen, guys. Backwater. I want you to let more ships in. Yeah. Wait. Let them all. Sir, in. that might not keep us alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let more of them in. Those guys, to me, are the other heroes of this chapter. They went out, and even though I wasn't cheering for the Lannisters to win, I was like, good on you guys. Yeah. Good on you. So um, I'm going to – I'm sorry, Scad, but I'm going to play the part of Professor Scad just a little bit here. Do it, man. I was thinking about Sandor um, refusing to obey orders mm-hmm. and what consequences there are for that. So I talked to my best friend who was in the Marine Corps. Both of you guys know him about what happens if a soldier in the midst of battle disobeys an order. He said that usually nothing happens in the midst of battle because they're more worried about just finishing the battle or, you know, fighting things out and stuff. But afterwards, according to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, I mean, it can range from, like, fines, reduction of rank, prison, and even execution you can what? be sentenced to death for refusing to obey an order even modern day yeah why do it we never hear about this stuff I, I don't think it happens very often oh the only time it's justified because also part of the uniform code of military justice or whatever it's called i'm sorry i'm doing a disservice to all our servicemen out there who <laughs> live by that <clears throat> yeah, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, there is another stipulation in there that you have a duty to disobey unlawful orders. Oh, so that anytime sounds a lot an like Jamie's oath stuff. Yeah, uh. causing you to, like uh, uh, an example would be like the Vietnam type stuff where they were ordered to kill innocent civilians or something. There's actually, there's room to disobey that order. Really? In fact, they would say even an obligation to. Huh, that's that's good. I had no idea, but right. Um, also, very easy to cause confusion yes. and 
I don't know, make matters worse? Don't you just want good, rational, moral people leading these? That would be the ideal situation. Yeah, yeah sure would. <clears throat> oh, boy. But uh, the, even like if it's like a suicide mission where they think their life is going to be in peril, no, if you're ordered to do it, you've basically got to do it. Like Squire Dalbridge. Like Squire Dalbridge, oh, yes. man. Oh, moment of silence for Squire real quick. Hey. Okay, that We don't good. know his fate yet. Apple for his Garen. <laughs> so, so anyway, so, just comparing so it a little bit to our day. You're, le- you're leading us on a little bit. <clears throat> uh, Sandor has disobeyed this order and could be executed, could be stripped of his cloak, could be... I, we don't know, I guess, right? Right. Yep. Interesting. Well, it's uh, it's certainly the most vulnerable we've seen him. Just befuddled. What there's a uh, what is it? I think it's a. Uh, gosh, it might be Saving Private Ryan again. There's a scene where like it goes quiet. There's no sound at all. There's mortars and shells going off everywhere, but there's no sound in the film. And there's a guy like mm-hmm. wandering around, like looking for his helmet or something. Yeah. I don't. I think uh-huh. it it might be Saving Private Ryan. It's it his, have... it's his... It is. It's it's uh, the beginning of Saving Private Ryan, and it's his arm. He's walking oh, around yes. armless, and That's he right. picks up his severed arm. That's right. Yeah, and uh, the Hound isn't to that level, but that's kind of what you th- like. He's just so lost to the world at this point that he's just mm-hmm. he he can't even deal. Right. Yes. Yeah. This is the guy that you know on orders butchered a, a little kid. Right, yeah. he's he's very loyal. That's part of the reason why they call him the Hound because he's as loyal as as a hound or a dog would be. And so it's very interesting to see him just like, nope, I'm done. Yeah, it's no coincidence that fire is uh, <laughs> yes is involved here, right? Given what we know of his yep. history with uh, being pushed into the fire by his brother. So the state of the battle right now is yes, Stannis's fleet has been ripped to pieces. Uh, but still, it seems that the plan is moving forward. They've been able to land at least some troops on the beach or on the shore. Now I'm thinking Saving Private Ryan again, beach. <laughs> but uh, some men are on the shore, and we'll see what happens. We've got more stuff next episode for that. Anything else you want to talk about with Tyrion's chapter? I'm good. I think I'm okay. All right. Well, my friends, let's move on to Davos After Dark. Uh, first of all, Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Those of you who are going to drop off next week or next episode, episode 30, our second to last uh, episode of A Clash of Kings, will give us Sansa 6, Tyrion 14, then Sansa 7. So we'll have Scad doing two Sansa chapters next episode. (laughs) Joke's on you. I'm hosting next time, so I can only do one chapter. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Danny 5 wow it's been a while since we've seen Danny and Aria 10 also been a while since we've seen little Aria that's chapter 60 to 64 so look for that next time and start reading now uh, but without any further ado let's kick it over to Davos After Dark Davos After Dark oh crap guys just a second I'm you have one second off the, yeah, I don't have my list pulled up Let's talk about how nope. Let's talk about talking. sex, baby. Go ahead. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that can be.
You got it. You done? Wow. Okay. That done went on for so long. I know. It was <laughs> stalled. It was a stalling tactic, wasn't it? You were covering it, for me. Absolutely it was. I'm ex- fully expecting you to edit it all out. No, it's... Are you kidding? That's in. It's 100% staying in. <sighs> now do end. shoot. Shoot, shoot, dead. I'm not doing it. Our, do the rapping our, part. Our buddy uh, Samantha really likes it when we rap, so... She likes it anything you, you rap. When have we rapped? Matt did uh, the third eye blind. rap for Third Eye Blind. Oh, that's right. That's just talk singing. Yeah. So I called it pseudo rap. Pseudo rap. It's beautiful, Brooke. <laughs> I didn't say it was bad. It's just not it's not rap. It's... So one thing that came up from all three of us as we were throwing around dad topics was Theon's dreams. So I thought that might be a good place to start. Mm-hmm. All of us started digging into them a little bit. So what do you guys think? Is it just his uh, subconscious at work? Or is there something more to Theon? Especially considering some of the things that he saw in those dreams. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I, I'm just imagining Brooke's mind like there's nothing more to Theon. He's just a dumbass. <laughs> That's actually exactly what I was thinking. I knew it! <laughs> it was, it's the logical next step. All of his other heroes have met terrible demises. Rob is next. Uh-huh. He's been dreaming about wolves a lot because he's got direwolves on the mind so the first time i read through this i i was thinking oh is he like green dreaming a little bit uh but as i've thought about it more i'm moving away from that a little bit what do you think scad i didn't put that much thought into whether there was more to it uh it's not it's not specific enough to really be premonition to me um mm-hmm. you know well the big one that comes up to me the others I can almost explain all of them but except for Rob and Grey Wind where he sees them with a hundred savage wounds but like you said no decapitation Yeah, none of that stuff it's not detailed enough to to Um, prove to me that it means something special it it could just be like Brooke going to the like she just said going to the next logical conclusion that Rob will be the next to go I guess it could be supportive of Danny's vision in the House of the Undying, like just sort of like a follow up to mm-hmm. to that because in that vision she sees the head of the wolf. On... She sees Rob sitting on a throne with. Uh, no, she sees a person who we assume yeah. is Rob sitting then, on a throne with a wolf's head, right? Yeah, and then maybe Theon's kind of seeing that deconstructed, and it just works mm-hmm. as a as a. A backup, but I, I think that's reaching. Um, yeah. Because everything else is pretty much explainable. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he sees Robert with his guts spilling out and Eddard Headless. And even though Theon wasn't there at those events, word of how they died, no doubt, probably got back to Winterfell. So he knew how they died. Yeah. I mean, there uh, there are enough details there that you could say, oh, maybe there's something that he's... He's got some sport, sort of power here, but yeah, mm-hmm. you know those details could have reached him. You don't know for sure. We're not told. Yeah, but and that's maybe that that's kind of the conclusion that I came to is the ones that have descriptions assigned to them of how they're dead are ones that he would probably know a little bit about. Here's the one like that's Robert, weird. Eddard, Lyanna, Lyanna, yeah, yeah. Lyanna. That is not a detail anyone would have told him. I don't think mm, Ned maybe. walked around saying, 
Yeah, and when I found her, there was gore on her dress, and it looked like mm-hmm. maybe she had miscarried, or that she had gone through a birth, or he, he would have gone into anything any of that... about birth. Huh? He just says white gown spattered with gore. But why would he know Theon that? Says. What, what, what details would have made it back to Theon about Lyanna's death that his imagination could have filled in that gap? He could have just thought that she died and so that there was blood there. There's blood bit, was involved in her dying. But there's a million ways to die that doesn't involve gore on your dress. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. I, it. I agree. That's one that is a little bit of a hang-up. Yeah. Like Jory, Fat Tom, Holin, those guys, he just saw them rotting. He didn't see a specific description of their wounds. Right. But someone like Micken, he did see dripping blood. And right. Chael, he did see dripping water. Dripping water, yeah. Brandon and Rickard, he didn't get a description. And I thought that was, I thought of the Catelyn chapter where Catelyn still didn't know how Brandon and Rickard had died to that point. So it probably wasn't something that Eddard had spread out around Winterfell. So right. Theon wouldn't have known those details yet. Mm. Um, but yeah, Lyanna is a little bit of a hang up on that. Interesting, he does not see Brandon Rickon in those, in that dream at all. Which is further proof that he knows they're not dead. Excuse me, Wiccan. You're excused this one time. <laughs> so okay, so we can we we agree I'll basically agree, yeah. that this just like subconscious guilt at killing, maybe being at Winterfell makes him more conscious of the Stark line in general. Yeah, I Having mean, slept in Eddard Stark's bed, maybe. The combination oh, yeah. of the Lyanna thing and the Rob Greywind thing gives me enough pause to be like, there's maybe there's something going on. I'm curious now that you brought it up, but I don't think I'm convinced. Right. I don't either. There's reason to believe it, maybe. The Ironborn were descended from the first men, so you might have some Ironborn that have some of those abilities, mm-hmm. but... That's, yeah, like we're saying, it's reaching a little bit. Hmm. Trying to think of any examples of Ironborn having that kind of ability or remembering. Yeah. Certainly not. You've got maybe the stuff. Yeah, maybe the prophet, the prophet guys, the Aaron Dampairs and stuff that, yeah, maybe a little bit. It would be interesting to go back to and kind of categorize all of the characters who do dream and then the outcomes of their dreams. Like, for example, mm. Ned dreamed a lot of the past, mm-hmm. but he didn't dream of the future. Mm. Catelyn dreams a lot about the present. Like, I, I just wonder if there's some sort of pattern or hidden meaning or if you can use that as sort of like an algorithm to figure out if Theon's dreams are whoa. legit. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'd be really interested in reading that. Okay, not in I'll doing get on it. it. So if you could, <laughs> yeah, you could well, jump on we'll that. We'll expect to see that on our desk next week. Bro. I'm going to bring it up again. A Search of Ice and Fire is so great. You can mm-hmm. basically type in dream, and then you get every That's instance true. of the word dream and can pretty much just... You're right. It would make that project a lot easier. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think you just volunteered yeah. twice. Oh, yeah, I got right on it. <laughs> yep, you got something to do. <laughs> so, uh, Jamie, let's bring up Scad's topic that I rudely interrupted with the Davos After Dark baseline. 
The quote again is, I think it passing odd that I am loved by one for a kindness I never did. I think he's talking about Tyrion and Tysha here. What do you guys think? Yeah, that's the... Mm. That's kind of what I thought originally, but but, but it was weird. My brain kind of compartmentalizes it. Oh yeah, Tyrion and Tysha, but I didn't think what the kindness was. I didn't think too much about it. And when I saw it in your notes, I did try to think more about Mm it. Uh, Brooke, what did you think? mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That or maybe something to do with Cersei. Mm. Yeah, that's the only other person I can think of is uh, something to do with Cersei. What kind of should not actually do for Cersei? Yeah. Because he seems pretty enthralled with her, and that's the conclusion I came to. Well, what things did he? So ostensibly, he took the white cloak to be near Cersei, right? Mm-hmm. Or is that right? Yep. So, like, maybe he's saying I didn't do it for her; I did it because I really wanted to be a white cloak. That's an interesting perspective. I like that. It's difficult to say because he hasn't really had. I would say after all of his adventures with Brienne, there might be something in there, but mm-hmm. up until now, it's yeah. difficult to say. But I'd say that the Tyrion thing is a pretty good guess. The Tyrion Tysha. Yeah, so thing. he's got. Yeah. So Tysha, just to review, he told Tyrion that he was just he'd hired Tysha. That Tysha was a whore. Mm-hmm. He told Tyrion Tywin, that at Tywin's urging. Yeah, Tywin told him to do that. Right. Tyrion. So Jamie told Tyrion that, and then he later confessed that no, he didn't actually do that. Which we haven't read. So, yet. yeah, no. Um. So, and Tyrion doesn't seem to hold that against Jamie. Yeah. At least we don't get that in any POV stuff. He seems to still just love Jamie just as much. Uh, there is another passage that I read as I was just reading through things on here where it talks about how Jamie was always the one that brought Tyrion toys and taught him how to ride a pony and, and all this stuff. And so him buying Tyrion a whore, even though it was it ended in this really traumatic experience that has stuck with Tyrion forever – it still is almost a continuation of that, that Jamie is always trying to help Tyrion uh, progress, if it were. Yeah. You, <laughs> know what else, you know what else? And it did. almost kind of endears him more to him and makes him love him more that he was trying to do that for you him. You know what else he did is he kept quiet about it for, what was it, two weeks while they were married in that cottage? Yeah. Like yeah. he kind of hid it from Tywin, right? Which, that's a bit of a risk. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just... It wasn't like if 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 his game was I'm going to hire you a whore for the night. That's entirely different than hiding it from your father for a week while you marry her and stay in a freaking cottage somewhere, right? So mm. the kindness could be hiding it too. Yeah, it's, I don't know. But in the reality, he didn't do any of those things. In reality, Taisha was just a girl, and yep. It's very possible she did love Tyrion. Tyrion did... She was young. I don't remember all the details. That girl was young. I mean, I know young is kind of part of the course in this world, but 
that girl was young. He, they got drunk kind of together and then they made love and then they got married. So uh, he was young too. He was like 14 or something, wasn't he? Yep. So it's just kind of two crazy kids fooling around. I don't know if he could, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and, and obviously the only look we get of her is from Tyrion's point of view. And reading some of the thoughts he had about her, it kind of makes you think, oh, she kind of liked him. Yeah. But uh, how much of that is he projecting? So He also yeah. thinks she likes him. Yep, exactly. Now, like we've said, we need a Shea POV. We need a Taisha one, too. I Actually, I wouldn't I don't like I that at all. POV. No, I don't want I don't want the Taisha <laughs> POV at all. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> heartbreaking. So um, let's go. Let's so go sorry, extending that thought real quick. The kindness then is sure. that he never did was he never did that with with Taisha at all, and so Tyrion thanks him for something that he never actually did. All he happened to right. do was walk along the walk along the lane and come upon Taisha with Tyrion. So he didn't really do yeah. anything. Yeah, right. that's the where that follows. Yeah. Okay. That's the one I'm sticking with for now. Me too. But I like your one about the white cloak. I, that's an interesting one I hadn't thought of, which is not uncommon for me not to think of something. Um. Well, let's go back to the main event, Blackwater. Yeah. What do you think? Would Davos's? You know, if some of this stuff had occurred, like Davos scouting and everything like that, do you think it would have changed things? Um, actually, let's throw this all in there. Melisandre being there, would that have changed things? You know, let's let's just play what if a little bit. Um, is there any way that this could have gone better, or did Tyrion basically plan for every contingency? Okay, let's say that Davos actually led the fleet. So he made decisions like a smuggler, Mm -hmm. uh, was overly careful, sent people up, discovered the boom, um, found a way to dismantle it. He probably would have sent the fleet in not 20 abreast, like a big pile of oars and Mm -hmm. men. He probably would have um, sent in like a way of boats um, or else better situated them along the river so that they could sneak people into King's Landing like use the boats more of a distraction tactic which I think is what I I gotta be honest I don't know why they tried to cross that bank at all like why not just land them way north and come in from that end was time a huge maybe time was a huge factor I don't know but sorry go ahead Brooke I didn't mean to interrupt you well I think that they would have had to go past King's Landing anyway, so they would have been hit by fire and arrows and the everything else. So it's hard to say. Like maybe once you get up under the wall, you're safe, um, safer than being exposed further north. Hard to say. Whatever the case, if Davos had been in charge of the initial attack. I don't think that they would have been tricked into the harbor and then had the the boom raised. That would have been taken care of. That would have been taken out of the equation and mm-hmm. escape from wildfire, even if it had still been used, would have been easier because the boats would have been more dispersed more yeah. and uh, they would have had an escape. 
So that is option A. Option B. It's a fair analysis. Melisandra's there. What could she have done? What what sort of parlor tricks could she have pulled out of her red sleeves? Mm-hmm. She <laughs> like popped out some shadows. I was gonna say, man, if she <laughs> could have a shadow baby with everyone. Send me every available sailor. <laughs> I got work to do. I gotta eat all their energy. Uh, it's hard to say with Melisander. Seems like, you know, it seems like she always kind of knows what's coming a little bit. Maybe she could have foreseen some of this. I don't know. It do, isn't doesn't it seem like? I could be completely making this up. It seems like in the future, in some future chapter, she almost kind of rubs Stannis's nose in it. Like, eh, should have brought me along. Maybe I'd have seen some of this stuff. Almost like she knew it was going to happen. I'm trying to remember if that happens with Stannis or Davos. Could be Davos. The point mainly is that she knew and didn't do anything now. Almost yeah. like to teach him a lesson. Stannis, Stannis keeps her with him from now on, right? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Maybe he needed to learn this lesson. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's like... He can suffer this defeat and still live on. Let's let him mm. learn this lesson. Yeah. But I don't. Yeah. What could she have really done? I don't know. I, 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 I really, I really go back and forth with Melisandre and how much power she really has versus how much of it is, you know, real. We, you called it parlor tricks, Brooke, and some of the stuff she does clearly parlor tricks. Still, sometimes she but gets the it right. Sword, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. a flaming sword. But still, sometimes she also gets it right, and she can see things coming, and you're like, oh, well, that is valuable. <laughs> you know? Right. So, I don't know. It's hard to say. Hmm. I'll put it this way. I'd rather have her on my side than not. So, I'd have brought her. Yeah, it's interesting that Stannis's vanity was so easily appealed yeah. to. Yeah. Like I think it was Emery who made the suggestion that if she came, the victory would have been um, credited to her. And he's and Stannis is like, oh, you're right. <laughs> he's got he's Keep got her. a lot of that in him, Stannis. I think even the really? appointment, yeah, even the appointment of Emery as the as the leader of the of the of the fleet. It's some sort of like uh, like birthright kind of you're owed this, and it'll look bad if I don't give it to you, kind of thing. The Florence are a completely landlocked family. They don't have any m- naval prowess. What is what good is this guy like commanding your navy? Give it to somebody that knows what they're doing. I don't. Mm. Like... They're also on Renly Baratheon's side until not too long ago. <laughs> True. Yeah. Well, no, he's a Florent, so his they wife... were though. Was he? even that's what's Some funny is uh... that Solis, you know, is married to Stannis, but still a bunch of Florence. We're with Renly. Hmm. It was like split down the middle or something, right? Something like that. <clears throat> yep. But I, yeah, I think there is some of that in Stan. Like he he was easily flipped on that. I was like, oh, that seals mm-hmm. the deal. I need the victory for myself. Yeah. Hmm. Those were the big ones for me in this chapter. What other things did you guys want to bring up? Davos After Dark, if anything. Not chapter, but episode. Uh, who was it that made the notes about Lady Stoneheart? Oh, that was me. Yeah. 
I am a creature of grief and dust and bitter longings. There is an empty place within me where my heart once was. And I want them all dead. Yeah, that is some major foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. It, it's also in, in that chapter too, where she's she's. Uh, I mentioned she's re- kind of relishing the opportunity to behead Theon herself. It's almost mm-hmm. like Uncat gives her, the Lady Stoneheart gives her, the opportunity to act, well, if you will, completely without thought of duty, right? I can just do. Oh, that's a good point. I can just do what I need to do. What 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 other whatever supernatural urges tell me to do, I'm just gonna do them now, right? Yeah. And that's true. Yeah. She's forsaking Lady Stoneheart. Is the antithesis kind of of duty, or of doing things for the greater good? It's all about getting revenge on as many people as you can. But she probably smells like duty. <laughs> you have to think. She's been in a river for a while. Oh, yeah. She's going to be earthy. <laughs> Swampy. Smells like a fish. <laughs> how, about, uh, how about the Tyrion thing? Um, somebody noted that this is kind of Tyrion's peak. Like we said during the chapter summary, you know, like he's his, his wisdom and battle command uh, of strategy are, are noted. And so is his actual like leadership and courage and people are looking up to him and, you know, uh, but next chapter we know he takes a freaking ax to the face <laughs> and it's all downhill it's from all there. Downhill. Despite everything he did in this chapter. Yep. Yeah. And doesn't and avail him much, even worse than the physical injury to, I think Tywin comes back and takes his job. Mm. That job and his has, credit. Yeah, his, his his yeah the credit and the job, both right. Mm-hmm. Um, his stuff has moved out of the Tower of the Hand. Like he's you know like you're no longer you're no longer the the big dick around here anymore, right? And Tyrion has been living in that right and loving it and becoming it, and yeah. the wound in combination with losing that office just kind of crushes him, I think. And then of course the you know, well we all know what happens, but. Uh, the the bigger question you guys are talking about is will he rise again, right? Which we've talked about a little bit before. Yeah, I brought that up. Just looking at where he is right now, um, you know, doing clown work with Penny. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know other way to say it. Um, he's really he's really hit rock bottom. Like, way worse than when he was just a neglected son who had free range but was directionless, right? He's he's really untethered. And, uh, yeah, I just I just feel like, like he hit his peak, then he hit rock bottom, where he's left to go, but back up again. I think we've been spoiled a little bit for that because we know that he meets up with Danny and, you know, maybe has some opportunity to... Uh, Prove his metal, but yeah, I mean, right, right now he's in the degree? camps waiting for that battle to start, right? Um, right in Winds of Winter, oh, Marine, yeah, in Marine. Um, and you're right. I think I think he hit rock bottom somewhere on that boat journey with Penny, and then Penny actually, to me, I think Penny actually helped him climb out of it just a little bit. Um, 
and 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 now he I think he is kind of climbing out. I mean the last the last thing we saw of him I believe is he's talking with with Ben Brown Brown Ben Plum, is that right? And trying yep. to like kind of engineer some uh, chicanery in the battle. Yeah, to get to hook back up with Danny. Yeah. But uh I I don't think he's ever going to get to this level again. But I think well, he's going to have he's riding a dragon at the end he will. <laughs> yeah, I think that's gonna happen. Darian. Uh, oh, I forgot. He was responsible for a Holocaust. We can use this word again for the dwarven Holocaust. That's yes. that'll bring you down too. Yeah. I don't know. Is it ever a Holocaust when you're killing in the dozens? You. Yeah. Well, probably per capita, maybe like <laughs> how many dwarves are around? You know. To say. It's, it's hard many. to blame him for that. No, but he probably feels poorly. Yeah. But what kind of what kind of indictment is it on the people too? They value these these uh, little people so little that they're willing to just chance it. He's a dwarf. Cut off his head and bring it. Maybe we'll get rich. And they say that uh, highborns or anyone will sometimes just kill a dwarf. In its infancy. Yeah. Mm. Awful. Anyways, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, at least he gets the opportunity to. Well, you know, maybe he won't come up with this big, like, uh, newspaper-worthy type heroics, but he'll find. Uh, some way to be, yes, you know. I agree. Where he he's happy, and we see that a little bit with Penny, where he starts to feel a certain amount of fulfillment in in what he's doing, you know. And so maybe that's just what he needs to find, and maybe that's a lesson that he needs to learn that the glory and the position of being the hand of the king and all of that stuff isn't as important as finding what his. I don't know, true calling might be or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I said in my head canon for Tyrion that he retires to like a river, starts a library and and lives with Taisha. That's what I want for him. Like I I think he I think he got some intense pleasure and fulfillment and confidence and courage and all sorts of value out of being in the hand. I don't think he needs it though. I think he needs yeah, gonna... the love of a good woman that he can return that love in kind and to be around knowledge and books. He's going to th- just do a pull a Samwise Gamgee. Yeah, I think that's all he needs, man. And it, would, it wouldn't be, you know, the, the question we talked about was, will he rise again? Not in, not in that sense. Not to, like, right. power yeah, and exactly. handedness, but, you know, to, to, to happiness. Yeah, that's what or I hope he for. wants to be. Yeah. yeah. That would be a good ending. Mm-hmm. Gurm will never let me have it, let's be honest. (laughs) Oh yeah, total pipe dream. Put that away. (laughs) Anything else you guys want to discuss in Davos After Dark? I'm down for it if you got anything. No, I'm, I'm good. I feel like, almost like our Davos After Dark is dwindling a little bit, only because in Game of Thrones... There was so much setup for yeah, future everything events. Everything was a spoiler. Yeah, yeah, everything. And now it's like we're just kind of living through it. I don't know. Yeah. 
that's that's going to be the nature of it as we go along, if you think about it, because we're going to be revealing more and more spoilers in the actual podcast. So it just seems like, yeah, diminishing returns in terms of Davos after dark topics. We might just be moving more into like the speculation type stuff in Davos after dark. Yeah. Or, or talk about what we want without feeling fettered at all. (laughs) Right. Right. Like, okay, just relax. We can talk about whatever. Stream of consciousness. Total headcanon moment. Yeah, Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's probably what it'll turn up being. Yeah. Anyway, I I still have fun still talking fun. it. If yeah. if yeah, if, if we ever get to the point where we're not enjoying it or we think it's a chore or something, then we should address it because it's all about what you know what we're having fun doing, right? Or that's what it should be yep. about. True. That's number one on our list. All right. Well, should we should we shut this thing down? Okay. Thanks everyone for joining us. Yes, thank Brooke, you. Brooke, you want to send us off? Yes, good night. This is Brooke signing off, saying you're all invited to join me on my pleasure barge. It's a paddle boat. It's called the Lady Shame. And it's leaking <laughs> green ooze. It is. <laughs> and uh, playing on, this is Matt signing off, inviting you to come to uh, the inaugural show on the Lady Shame by uh, renowned ska band Ragged Jenna. And if you find yourself, like Brooke, consoling Ragged Jenna, yet being a complete stranger to her, just try to reach down your hand in your pocket and pull out some hope for that poor, poor girl. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Speaking of the show and where Dario is super hot and not at all crazy haired, yeah, yeah. I was I was um, researching the Battle of Black, uh, Blackwater, yeah. and uh, one of the links for the TV show came up, and I was like, mm, I'll watch what they did with the with the battle, and it was so frustrating. One, it took place at night instead of during the day. There was like ten ships. Only one ship filled with wild- mm-hmm. wildfire? What? Wildfire. Yeah. yeah. Stannis is, like, in the battle. <laughs> Stannis is leading the, yep. the men onto shore. I'm like, oh, what? Guys yeah. are getting, like, their faces smashed all around him, and he's just, like, yeah. climbing up the ladder like a little monkey. Um, Mathos is, like, 30. Uh-huh. <laughs> Supposed to be a boy. Um, and also, freaking Dinklage looking so good. <laughs> Yeah, he's watching super hot. From, watching from shore. It's like, no, no, no. He needs to be the imp, and everybody needs to be, like, doubting him. And he has yeah. to look like, what is he described as, demon monkey? But no, he's just looking super chiseled Stoic. and concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Joffrey, like, giggling beside him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Davos, like, in the books, he makes the connection from the ship leaking wildfire, like almost and immediately. Seeing the chain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just like, back it up. In the show, like, a minute of that four-minute clip was him just scaring, staring slack John. Yeah. <laughs> There's no uh, people on that. Let's get closer. Uh, <laughs> uh. So, okay, one one tiny bit from the 
from my Tahoe vacation. Uh, so I didn't really get to listen to our whole podcast. Like I didn't have time to like, like normally I do that at work, right? Like I'll just listen while I'm working after we get the final cut, uh, and it gets up on the site. But this time, you know, I'm like running around with the kids and doing stuff. And so I was kind of like trying to listen in snippets. And there was a period where I got like 20 minutes straight and we were about to go into the wet dream conversation, (laughs) but I'm playing it on my iPad, like allowed in like the family room where some people are around <laughs> and i'm like okay i'm gonna stop it right there <laughs> that was a golden moment uh, that was a you want to share moment. that with your friend uh, i just didn't i didn't think they were you know what if they'd listened to the podcast up to that moment like the 28 episodes mm-hmm. and then listen to they that then maybe i'd be like okay they're they're prepared but they don't listen to they don't listen to it. So like just walking into the wet dream part, yeah, probably they're not ready. We but should I, podcast. Yeah, we should. Tonight. We've been talking for 40, 47 minutes, and I got Damn. all of it.